Hello and welcome to the next episode of Research VR, where we dig deep inside virtual reality. We are still at the Hackvention in Hanover, and beyond me, Peter Lekov, we have our usual co-host, Krzysztof Zdebski. Hello, your pronunciation of my name is getting really, really better. Awesome. <laughs> But we are also joined by the great guest, Astrid Kamke. Welcome. Thank you. thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming. I actually wanted to record it a little bit uh, since a long time, because I watched a talk that you gave on the topic of storytelling at the Hanover Meetup. And today you also had a talk on the topic of... Well, the headline talked um, was uh, Six Degrees of Freedom Content Creation for Virtual Worlds. And I wanted to um, talk a bit about the role of the user being a character in virtual reality and what does that mean for content creation mm -hmm. and for spatial narration. Mm -hmm. We can um, discuss it more in detail, but I would like you first to introduce yourself. What's your background? I'm coming from, uh, first I studied theater, so that's the background many years ago. And um, then I uh, stepped into television. Then I was a producer for a feature film project. And since five years, I'm helming the first movie program at the Bavarian Film Center. This is a startup incubator based in Munich on the compound of Bavaria Film Studios. And we are coaching and training and supporting young talent Originally in the 90s, uh, filmmakers and film producers, but since a few years already, of course, media professionals of all kind. Um, our background is content creation. We stick to content creation. This is where we come from. But for the new technologies, we uh, see the urge um, to bring technology and content creation together. And that's what we're doing. We create training formats. And we uh, realize international conferences like the I4C conference to bring international experts and uh, try to force a knowledge transfer and strengthen the networks of the communities. And what was your motivation to give the talk today? First of all, I like to be very close to the community to see where we are and what the needs are. And uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, these new technologies are so incredibly exciting. And uh, the tempo people are developing uh, is really breathtaking, particularly for somebody such as old as I am. But um, it's, it's a very, very uh, interesting event here, having a hackathon, having demo cases and showcases here, and also meeting other experts talking about several fields. So I wanted to be part of it, and um, I think it's really necessary to bring storytelling skills and storytelling perspectives into the world of programmers and technology developers to, to make them understand what would be necessary to create great stories and great mm -hmm. content. What do you think about this, Chris? I actually wanted to speak a little about your, the talk that you gave today. Mm. So you told me that um, your talk was more about the questions than the answers. Right. And then you said that you started the, the talk from your own personal experience that you had in virtual reality. So maybe you could tell us a bit uh, about the, the experience that you had mm -hmm. that actually changed your talk that you wanted to give. Yeah, yeah. First of all, I, I never want to give the same talk. Uh, so I, I see it like a being a bit of a, you know, a sequence of talks. So in Hanover in September, I talked about the evolution of storytelling to mm -hmm. make clear what is the difference between storytelling 
as we know and the new world we are entering. And today, um, as said before, I wanted to talk about spatial narration and how we can conquer the room. And um, then I watched a 360 uh, video short film um, and it's called The Invisible Man. And I was a bit shocked because I was um, what I, I couldn't interact. So it's a it's a 360 experience without interaction. I was a ghost-like character, just watching, sitting on a table, and something happens. And in the end of the story, um, a gangster uh, pointed a gun right into my face, and then he he shot, and the blackout was the end of the experience. And I was really I was absolutely paralyzed. I was sitting there and that, that, that did not happen. Somebody shot me in my face in mm -hmm. virtual reality. And when I put off the headset, I started to get really mad about it. That, that, that's not why we're doing this. That's, that's not the reason why we tell stories to shock people, to shock users. And uh, so I start thinking more in the direction, what is the position of a user Formerly, we used to be audience just watching something. Now, uh, we are a user because we can interact and create mm -hmm. something. But in virtual reality, we literally enter that world, and that makes us become a part of the story world. And that means we are a character there. And um, the fourth mm -hmm. wall is, um, if the fourth wall is down, that's a great experience, but also that makes us vulnerable, of course. And we watch movies or read books. Uh, we follow the protagonist or the characters through the story, and emotionally we connect with them. That makes it uh, interesting for us. That creates empathy. If we understand their motivation, we understand their pain and mm -hmm. the, the good moments and the bad moments. In virtual reality, we are the main character or the direct character, and everything happens to us unplugged. There is no deputy character mm -hmm. we follow. We are inside that story. One example as a book is, um, at least for me, 1984 by yeah. George Orwell, that I perceived as a very, mm, it's a very negative book. Like It's very well written. Uh, it's definitely a masterpiece. In the beginning, I have a very slowly developing happy story and then just go down mm -hmm. and it never goes up like in the end of the book you are destroyed as a reader because right. it's so devastating don't you think that also a virtual reality experience can play with those elements absolutely yes of course uh that doesn't mean what i'm saying it's not that um we all have to have happy endings and happy go lucky experiences but you, you need to know that uh, the emotional connection between me as a reader and the main characters, I don't know the names of these two characters in 1984 who are um, in the end uh, uh, living their life in... The lady forgets about the guy and... Uh, yeah, the guy sits in the, um, in the in same the house where he started. I sold you and you sold me under the chestnut tree. Ah. Uh, right, yeah. Yeah, for sure. You, you know, if you read a book, you, you can be emotionally um, involved, but you're still aware that these are just 
characters. There is a suspension of disbelief standing in, in, mm-hmm. in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is a kind of contract between the audience and the creator that everything what happens mm-hmm. right now is just mm-hmm. made up. It's a fictional thing. It's a narration. And this suspension of disbelief is kind of fragile in virtual reality. So as we know this is just a virtual world. We know we are standing in a real environment, but the other half of our brain tells us, no, you're standing in a, I don't know, on Mars, mm-hmm. or you're standing in an environment mm-hmm. absolutely incredible that you're here, and you feel the presence maybe if it's a well-made experience. So the suspension of disbelief kind of dissolves in virtual reality, and that makes you... Responsible? Uh, uh, as a creator, responsible, but as a user, vulnerable, of course, mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. a, you know you can you can use virtual reality for therapy. It's so uh, direct, and it's um, it's a di- it seems to be a direct way right into mm-hmm. our psyche. Mm-hmm. So we need to take this in, into consideration when we talk about storytelling here. Breaking the fourth wall. I guess our dear listeners are right now wondering, well, it's a podcast about research, how does storytelling relate to it? What do you think, Chris, about um, how storytelling is potentially playing a big role in designing experiments, for example? Since you are the direct part of the experience, regardless if it's a storytelling experience, if it's a simulation experience, or if it's just a shooting game, there is a story to it. In my opinion, when you are putting someone in virtual reality, you automatically get some storytelling. There is some natural storytelling around because there is environment around you, because you are a part of this experience. You have the control, you have the agency in this experience. So then either you have some random story that is created there or you take control over it and then you add the audio that fits to the content. Then you add ambisonics that fit. You create the right level of uh, visual fidelity. You give the right interactions. I have a different uh, definition of storytelling on my own, but that's Mm -hmm. a very private decision. Um, I think that's what makes a plot a story. Plot is the pure action. Mm -hmm. It's a sequence of actions. And... um, This is what you described. You put a camera rig in the center of a room or you create an environment, but still the the view of the user will be the center of this room. Mm-hmm. And even if there's nothing's happening, it's storytelling uh, in your opinion, right? As, as far in, as I understand. So in the real world, it wouldn't be because it would feel a little more abstract. But in virtual reality, I'm cut out of the real world and... I have a different world given to me. Mm-hmm. So simply by the different world, by the virtual world being there, I already have a certain story. Uh, now I'm with you. Yeah, and this, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's what I uh, would refer to the user's journey. Mm-hmm. As, um, uh, the, we, we do have certain rituals learned, how we read a book, how we watch television, how we go to the theater. We know how that works. We know the curtains close, opens, mm-hmm. and so on. The, so there are rituals, but we don't have rituals for virtual reality already. Mm-hmm. So um, if you know the hero's journey, and uh, you take this 
pattern and what is the pattern? The pattern is that uh, the hero, the protagonist, starts in a known world, and um, he gets a call to adventure, and um, then he takes, finally takes the call to adventure and starts his journey. And he he's crossing a threshold into the unknown world, into mm -hmm. his adventure, literally. And um, in this new world, he has to face. He has, first of all, he has to find out the mechanism of this world and who is ally, who is enemy, what's happening there, what would, he, uh, would be the best way to get through uh, to, to his journey. And um, there might be some fights or ordeals. And when he finally is being rewarded and find what he's looking for, he can go back to where he come from. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a very important point. Um, that the hero's journey is only finalized when the hero really gets back to his original point, mm -hmm. but somehow transformed because he learned something or he's more mature, he, he went through emotional process. So that's the journey. And it's for me, it's the DNA of storytelling because it's the DNA of ourselves, of our lives mm -hmm. from the cradle to the grave, but also in, in a daily routine. Um, if you take this hero's journey, which is just a backbone of storytelling, it's a structure you use if you want to tell stories. It's not a dogma, but it helps a lot. Then, uh, and you, you take this pattern and have a look of what is the user now. If the user is a character, it's mm -hmm. the user's journey. So he starts in the real world right here, and the call to adventure would be maybe to put on the HMD. And okay step into the virtual world and this is the unknown world and that's right from this moment you're completely right it's an unknown world he steps okay. into an adventure he doesn't know yet what's what's here it will take a moment to explore where i am what are the mechanics what should i do mm -hmm. who i am and so forth does it mean that the experience of storytelling uh, would already start before i put the headset on For me, yes, um, to understand, because, yes, um, when you watch a movie, you, uh, you need to connect to the protagonist, and you only can connect if you know a bit about him, okay. to know who is that character, what's his problem, first of all. But I don't get that information before I turn on the movie. No. And in virtual reality, apparently, my movie starts already before I put the headset on when I make the decision to put the headset on. That's the call to adventure. Yeah. I would mm. say so, yes. It's a very interesting viewpoint, call to adventure, put the headset on. Uh, well, it's, yeah, maybe it's crap, but it's no, uh, no, some no, of it's my a, ideas. No, no, when it's I, definitely interesting. Um, because, well, it, for, for the most first experiences, people who have the headset on their head for the first time, um, in my perception, some of them are really scared a bit. But mm -hmm. all of them are excited and they okay. prepare for, because we, we know so much about virtual reality, we've seen trailers, mm -hmm. uh, it's a buzzword, everybody knows somehow virtual reality mm -hmm. is there. Uh, there is a big expectation what's happening right now. Okay. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a call to adventure. Okay. It's a now slightly different question. I just thought about a, a company that is... Uh, standing right now also on Hypequension with the green screen and they can do live streaming of mixed reality. And that brings me to the point, how do you 
how would you involve other users into the story? So right now, when we are thinking about Gear VR, even Vive, it's just one user experience. Right. So how would you involve either more users together with him in the same virtual world or actually involve the audience mm -hmm. from the outside? That's a very interesting question. And I'd love to watch more about this. I know that there are experiments with theater uh -huh. for the moment. Um, I haven't seen it, live theater um, yet. But from a, a creator's perspective is, I, I want to avoid a bit the word storytelling for virtual worlds, because okay. storytelling for me, in my definition, has beginning and a middle and an end. Uh -huh. And uh, it, it's a time-based storytelling. That means there's a certain continuity in that story. And we, we need to do the shift from storytelling to story world building. We need okay. to do the shift from time-based narration to spatial narration. Uh -huh. It's more about the space. Obviously, it's a sphere. It's the shift from a narrator to a creator. And of course, it's a shift from linear storytelling uh -huh. to nonlinear narration. Mm. And these are all topics which have to be considered for virtual worlds. And I, I think still the, the, the most important um, topic is the, the, the down of the fourth wall that has the, mm. the most okay. consequences for the user. Consequences. Um, actually, on one of the fairs that I attended, I was discussing, I don't remember really with whom, but her concern about what reality was, and I never heard it before, that you might torture people with that. Yeah. And in science, there are a few experiments that are, for example, mm. forbidden, like the Milgram experiment, mm -hmm. where you basically divide people into two groups, and one group are the, the prisoners. The Milgram experiment is the one where you have a person that yes. learns With, words, yes. and then uh, he or she has to learn 20 words, and then she is making mistakes, or he is making mistakes. So you, as the participant in the experiment need to shock her with electricity or him and every time he makes a mistake and every time you shock the next shock is higher mm. so then eventually you reach the point where you have a killing yeah. level and you have authority who stands next to you and gives you orders to do it come on do it you have to shock him yeah. this is and people started yeah. to laugh T partly Partly, but, yeah, but also... Because it's a release, really. Yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. They also enjoy it. But yeah. also there is this prisoner yeah. dilemma, I think. No, but prisoner dilemma is... No, it's not prisoner dilemma. Okay, there is this experiment. Chris will Google it in a moment. Uh, and I will just continue. It's um, already divide people into two groups. One are prisoners, one are the guards. And the guards also become quite violent. Now, one could imagine, and this is what Chris and me thought during doing research with VR, mm. that, okay, well, the ethics committee is pro prohibiting us to do research. It's a Stanford prison experiment. Stanford, yeah. And okay, but virtual reality could give us a door. And we didn't really thought about the ethics, but thought about possibilities. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think that it would be unethical and kind of, you know, you had to be also super careful what you're doing when you would recreate those experiments in VR? There's a brilliant answer to that, but unfortunately, it's not, not from me. Um, I've heard it when I watched a panel in South by Southwest last March, and I'm really trying to think hard, who was this brilliant mind, a psychologist, who said it was the very same question from the audience, could you use uh -huh. virtual reality to torture people? And he says, yes, absolutely. You okay. can torture people with virtual reality, but we do that with Black Sabbath, too. <laughs> Meaning, um, if you have a look at what's happening mm. in Guantanamo, yeah. 
they are torturing people with music, with black uh -huh. metal music and whatever. You can use everything to torture people. So uh, it's not a specific topic to virtual reality. Mm -hmm. But it gives you possibilities of to course, of course. hijack the system and maybe do something that is considered usually unethical, but it's virtual. It's not real. I'll just, you know. Yeah, well, that's true. In this topic, uh, we should actually pay attention to how we build experiences, especially virtual world storytelling exper experiences, uh, because they might have a long-term effect. Mm. Like when we are creating the experiences right now about the immigrants, the or goal the of it is to, or the six by nine guardian experience, the yeah. goal is to create long-term effects, long-term yeah. changes in the way that you, that you see the world. Yeah. And that's why I also previously mentioned that storytellers should be responsible for what they are creating. They should always be responsible for what they are creating. Yeah. But I want to create an awareness that there is no fourth wall between them mm -hmm. and the user any longer. And, um, so it's more responsibility, more danger you could do? Is it? Well, I, I ask um, somebody, could you, could you traumatize? If you can therapize people mm. with uh, virtual reality, which really happens, mm -hmm. yes, could you definitely. traumatize people? And the answer was, I think it was Skip Rizzo, oh, okay. uh, who told me that, that um, that's a difficult question because people react in a different way to things they're seeing. There mm -hmm. are people like me who are hypersensitive and I mm. couldn't watch a horror movie because I would dream for the rest of my life of creepy scenes. And there are other people who are more, well, maybe enjoying it or take mm -hmm. it as a piece of entertainment mm. and when once it's finished they have forgotten mm -hmm. it what we know is that uh, virtual reality can create memories as mm. if we've been there i've read about that in uh, particularly kids um, are creating memories yeah. we actually had mentioned this on one of the episodes and yeah. we debated over it yeah the study is in our opinion i remember partly well, you could argue that those kids just don't, didn't understand the questions, I think, or, yeah. mm. you know, it's not like they perceive it real, it's just, you know, perceive it. Yeah. They don't have enough uh, refle reflection power. So it's, it's a very interesting study, and I really hope that there will be studies that will at least convince me more. But it seems like there is a trend there that, yes, you can create memories. Yeah. Also, the studies. We, we just don't know yeah. enough about it, but uh, this is no reason for me to be hyper-technophobic. We need to think about the children. Let's not use technology. Go to the forest and just live the hippie life, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 we don't want to do that. I mean, one... one, one there, was, there was a really great experience in, experience in Amsterdam. It was on the wife, and you could choose uh, between four habitats. So you were mm -hmm. sitting on a chair, got the wife on your head on, and there was a gate and a, a created world. And the first world was the paradise. So mm -hmm. the, the nature, pure nature. And a smooth voice was explaining, this is pure nature, and you live like the first people, and it's all in balance. But please be aware, um, surviving was tough. And, and so they, they showed them the other side of the metal. So you, had, you experienced four different habitats, like the super nature, the 
um, virtual reality simulation, a technological, a data-based world, a okay. robotic world, what and um, something with Earth. I have to okay, go we'll through ask my you notes. Yeah. And the fourth one was. Hmm? As a fourth uh, um, scene was. Uh, the fourth one was uh, designed uh, nature. And okay. after that, it took 20 minutes or so, and after that, you, you've been asked to make a decision mm -hmm. in which hmm. habitat do you want to live in. It was very, very, very tough to make a decision. Mm -hmm. They really ask you, please do it, we need it, and you've got a dot and need to put it on one of those four uh -huh. um, quadrants. I thought that is that is interesting. It's an either or, so um, it was very extreme. Every habitat mm. was very extreme, and mm -hmm. um, most people just put their dots in a quadrant, but more to mm. the center ah. to make clear. Oh, it's it's kind of you know the four grids usually kind of ask people to rate personality traits or anything, and you can you know you kind of go to the extreme corner, but you could also put them more in the middle, right? Like yeah, overlapping. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We don't want a dictatorship, but anarchy is kind of scary to me. Yeah, something like that. Speaking about um, slightly different topic, I recently had a long argument with a company that creates um, very realistic avatars of people. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's talk about now the influence of the avatar. Uh, what can you tell us from your experience about uh, using the avatar for storytelling? Uh, you mean not the avatar, the movie, but the no, avatar? Like the avatar <laughs> yeah. in the world. Like yeah. who are you? Who are you? Right, Peter. No. Not now. Not now. No. <laughs> <laughs> not for the moment. That's not your avatar now. Okay. The stunning thing uh, for me was that it makes no difference, nearly no difference, how realistic an environment is to create emotion. Okay. Um, you can you can see that already in animation movies like uh, Finding Nemo or, mm -hmm. or kids movies. You, you have the same emotional journey, you have this feel the same empathy even for Wallace and Gromit characters. Actually, when we are going very low on the fidelity triangles. level, there is a very old experiment yeah. that was filmed with so old camera that they had to port it uh, to digital version where you have two triangles chasing each other right. and then one of them hides in the big square. Yeah, And that's already creating a story that's already right. creating the emotional connection to the running away yeah. from the patterns and we have, right? the people ask uh, please interpret what's going on here and they start to tell stories yeah. about the i think it was a sphere a cube and um, a trying uh, something something like that mm -hmm. uh, yes uh, i i use that actually in my workshops sometimes mm -hmm. um, let start people talking about what's happening here mm -hmm. and uh, We always get different um, uh, interpretations mm -hmm. of if it's a chasing or if it's a hunt or whatever. Interesting. Yeah. But that means um, we used to connect uh, not to faces or to... Uh, no, that's wrong. We, we used to connect to emotion, not to shapes or to, okay. to characters. So I think facial expressions are absolutely uh, key. As soon as you give facial expressions to a character, and it might be a photorealistic character, but it also could be a bread or ball or a table or whatever, you start to read the expression, the emotion. Mm -hmm. in, and this makes us connecting with the character. Just one caveat here. We should be really very careful about the Uncanny Valley effect. Yeah. It's a very well-studied effect that when you have realistic but not 
realistic enough object, usually it's about the face, yeah. then it just feels creepy and it's uh, more distracting than helpful for your experience. Right. But if we are speaking about the low fidelity, fidelity faces, like emojis or a little more, that already have face expressions, and we go way up to the very realistic, full face tracking with like 30 points on your face, right. um, face expression tracking, then it's very important for exactly. the experiences. Exactly. But uh, what I wanted to say is that um, it's obviously sufficient just to work on the emoji bases to create mm -hmm. emotions or, or to, to make a connection to a character and to create empathy. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what Noni de la Peña is doing with mm. her um, very, very rough Uh, CGI built experiences. They are based on true story, mm -hmm. but they're avatars um, who doesn't even move like normal mm -hmm. people. So you can see from the first moment, this is a built world. This is an animated world. It's not real, mm -hmm. but it's so emotional uh, that um, that you obviously don't need to have um, more than this to mm -hmm. connect. That's what I. And what to I have mean. more would maybe even be disturbing. Maybe, yes. Yeah, but what you're saying, if you come too close to reality, but it's not real uh -huh. reality, it's scary. Yeah, it's and if weird. you really come to reality, it might already be very traumatizing. Yeah, can be, yeah. I was going more into the, actually the, into the direction of how your avatar influences the perception of the story. So there's this huge topic of embodied cognition, so how you perceive the world through your own body. Mm -hmm. And then there is even a cooler topic that is called embodied, no, no, enclosed cognition, mm -hmm. so that you perceive yourself and the situation you're in through the way that you're dressed. So if you're in a suit, you are behaving in the situation and responding in the situation in a different way than you would do if you're in just in the sweatpants. Mm -hmm. So have you seen already experiences that try to play around with those concepts? Like Kimo... Um um, uh, Kim acquaintance was uh, yesterday here with a talk about an experience an experience where you could face your elder avatar mm -hmm. so um, you've got an own avatar and then they age it and uh, they try to um, to find out what's happening with the people how come they back to reality will that have any impact but I I, I have to admit that I No, I, I cannot really answer your question. I think mm -hmm. you're much more into that field than <laughs> I am. Do you see the potential of, of using different bodies of myself or like different avatars of myself to change the way I see the story or to use this as a feature of the story? That would be very interesting, of course. Yes, of course. Yes, absolutely. Um, coming from film again, Avatar, the movie Avatar yeah. is the, the perfect example for that. Mm -hmm. Having a main character who's paralyzed and uh, now is landing on Pandora and being an Avatar, um, a Navi, Navi, mm -hmm. Avatar. Na Navi. Navi, Navi, <laughs> Avatar. Uh, he gets back all his powers. He can mm -hmm. walk again, but even more, he gets superpowers. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is absolutely one quality in virtual reality we can achieve is make the user getting superpowers mm -hmm. and uh, uh, be on places he never could be, um, be able to do something he never could be able, get skills he 
couldn't do in in uh-huh. reality. And um, yes, of course, play around with avatars and being <laughs> somebody else or being in the skin of uh, a tiger or I don't know. I would love to, so to see that. It seems like Mr. Zdebski is soon going to make content. He will film and he will create. He will be the creation content manager, whatever. But um, in fact, isn't your motivation, Astrid, to push people to not push to motivate people to create content? Wasn't isn't that what you're trying to achieve with what you're doing? Yes, yes. Um, I I love virtual reality. I see the potential of the medium, um, the development, the tempo of the technology development is really breathtaking. Uh, but what I'm missing is really um, sustainable content. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's high time that storytellers step into and uh, being embraced, being part of the hackathons and the development process. And um, it's the beginning. We already have exciting experiences, but by far not enough. And we need a lot more experiments, a lot more creativity, a lot more skilled and trained people to experiment with the borders and the new f- the new medium. Mm-hmm. Is there ways to push it? Uh, we want to do that in our way. What we can do, we set up training programs. As said, we got a, a European funding for our VR accelerator program. Where will it be based? It will be in Munich. Um, it will be launched, I guess, beginning of the year. We're uh, shaping it right now. It will be for European writers and creative uh, talents, creative producers. And we want to give them the possibility to um, learn to know the state of the art technology in these days, uh, in the future. So I have to be careful what I'm saying now. And I want to meet, want them to, to meet them, uh, cognition scientists and psychologists. I want to meet them, actors, work with actors. Um, so um, we, we want to create a lab where these people can be trained in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. And um, it will be addressed to writers who are really skilled and advanced already. So mm-hmm. we don't need to train storytelling. We need to, we want to train spatial narration. Mm-hmm. To also give people the chance to actually work on it, right? Right. To have the space with equipment, have the space with those other experts that can be beneficial to them. Like I would say... Um, For 360 video, for example, it seems like a typical cameraman or a typical person who is maybe the most awesome person to film is somehow not grasping the same concepts as someone who comes from theater, right? Right. Because you suddenly have a stage around you, not so much as a part of the world in a square. The cover in front of you. Right. So um, that's the reason why I'm thinking of uh, actors, of course, but also of choreographers or dancers maybe, though people who are used to fill the space. And it's also about body language um, in virtual reality. It's a lot about body language and about attitude and how we, the energies between the characters, how we stand to each other, how we react to each other. And this is a huge field. We need to explore, it's not only embodiment, Uh, having a known body or not, and what, uh, how does this body look like? It's also um, the relation to the other characters mm-hmm. in that narration, and that makes a lot of emotional impact. So a simple example is if you have a very close-up and somebody 
comes really, really close to your face in virtual reality and you have the Googles on, it's it's just too much. You just want to run away or I have them no. I have the impulse to just put the headset off because I don't want somebody be such close on mm. my nose. It's a safe space that they're violating, right? Right. Right. And uh, so that could be an interesting field to explore. How close can you come? What what kind of emotions does this affect? How do you position, how do you stage your actors or mm -hmm. your characters in a 360 sphere? And um, I think this has to be explored. Definitely. When we have been on the um, conference, no, what was it? The TechCrunch Disrupt in Silicon mm -hmm. Valley. There was a startup, I also plug them, that did actually live streaming of 360. It really confused me because I put on cardboard and I expected, okay, it will be some kind of, you know, AI style, there will be some woman and it will be recorded, she will answer rings. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm looking at her and she's looking in the camera, I'm asking hi and she's saying hi and the conversation went on and she, she actually talked to me and, it, and I slowly realized, okay, this cannot be scripted. Like I already mm -hmm. asked so many weird questions that no one could have, you know, come up with. <laughs> she's actually behaving naturally, it is not rendered. Well, As like a matter really... of fact, it was a mixed reality experience. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. she was standing somewhere in Berlin, I think, in front of the green screen while we were in San Francisco. And the yeah. right. video was streamed uh, in real time to mm -hmm. us. And I was really feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Like, not, not, not because um, I was ashamed or anything, but just I suddenly were, was in a completely different environment, completely ripped out of the environment I've been to. And she was talking to me and like, you know, looking at me. And I was like, hey, stop you looking at me. Like, you know, people don't always look me in the eyes. They sometimes look around. It's creepy. <laughs> it was a unique experience, definitely. Yeah. But that's something I guess you have to play around with. In general, with virtual reality, there are so many awesome experiences, so many awesome applications out there. But still, I don't have necessarily the feeling that we all figured it out mm. for every case, forever, with every device. and. And there's so much changement and turbulence there. Well, there is still a lot to discover, right? It's a very pretty new medium. Well, we are, we are kind of spoiled, you know. We, are, uh, sure. we, we know we have a culture of 100 years of cinema behind us and mm -hmm. inhaled. And if you look back 100 years ago, 120 years ago, uh, the excitement, or we would say the awe, was, wow, a picture can move. And we can watch a moving mm -hmm. picture. And they literally held the mm -hmm. camera on everything that moves. And <laughs> that was the first step. And yeah. we have, I think we are now in the second step that we try to use what we know. We try to use uh, the kind of storytelling we know and try to put it somehow in this sphere. And this is nothing else um, than they did a hundred years ago. They, mm -hmm. they put theater, um, they took um, opera and musicals, and they just filmed it. And that was the beginning. And then eventually a language of cinematic language evolved. Mm -hmm. And now we are doing um, Marvel pictures and um, great storytelling. But we need to come to that point. It's, it doesn't happen overnight. But, but it's, it's not like it's fixed, right? It's even changing right now. So apparently from what I read is that like something like Snapchat and Instagram somehow made this square video mm -hmm. more acceptable to people. Like uh, at least the guys from T, uh, TVN, T3N, T4N. T TVN, 
told me that you know square video can be used less for dramatic scenes mm -hmm. they would just accept it more mm -hmm. because well it's it's just common and people got used to it yeah it's something that we didn't had before square video now we have circular video with the spectacles right which is also very very strange in a certain way but okay it's just easier to watch it with a smartphone mm -hmm. so even though we have this 120 years of great cinema experience and you kind of can watch a movie from you know 19th and from today and you see like huge differences right Like, for example, for me, it's really tough to watch old movies. They have to slow. Yeah. I yeah. can barely, and I'm ashamed of it, I can barely manage to watch old movies. The cuts are very slow. There's yeah. a lot of happening, which is wonderful. Wonderful movies, usually. But it's just, I'm falling asleep. I need this action. And I guess with VR, it will also change our way to consume media, right? Right. I would assume. What do you think about it? It's even hard, you know, we say some, some movies age better than others. Um, but... Our visual habits have changed so much. If you try to watch a movie from the 80s, you, you will be shocked about the color concept. Mm -hmm. I tried to watch uh, Miami Vice, mm -hmm. uh, the series. I was addicted to that series in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And I bought the DVD box and I tried to watch it. And it, it was just not, just not possible. Because mm -hmm. it was all these, you know, these 80 colors. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what is this? Yes. We are used to HD or 4K mm. uh, uh, picture solution. We have a certain... HDR. Yes, HDR. We have aesthetics we are, we are used to. And uh, we can't go, in, can't go back. Mm -hmm. So it even looks weird if you look at a 90s movie, with, uh, which mm -hmm. is analogly filmed. Well, well not analog, most, yeah. uh, just from the technical quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And, that's um, why you have the remastered versions and stuff, right? Right, right. And also, of course, the language is um, like the, the cutting sequence, the cutting rhythm mm -hmm. um, has developed a lot. Um, the, the visual language has changed. Mm -hmm. It's kind of mode you, um, you have. So, yes, sometimes it's really tough to watch old movies. And I mean, I honestly can imagine when you would take someone from, you know, a few, yeah, maybe 20, 30 years ago and would show them something like Mr. Robot. Right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there would be just, what is this? It has a very strange way to tell a story. Yeah. I don't think they would really grasp it. Yeah. But actually, for that's, me it's strange. Like, that's the evolution of storytelling. Yeah. So is. we had in the beginning the need for basic things, mm. for, for very straightforward stories. Now it's popular to have those crazy, trippy, very mm. difficult to understand stories because our taste mm. is now more advanced, so to say. Now maybe changed, who knows? I wouldn't. No, we just want more. You know, we just want um, something more demanding. Yeah, in times of, you know, information overload, we need our brain to be, you know, busy yeah. figuring out all those keys. I guess it's just my intuition. But I mean, also when cameras develop, we figured out things like that horses have always one foot on the ground, right? right. People started to feel horses and figure out, okay, they have always one foot on the ground, right? So like you also have some kind of potential to figure out maybe new things. Yeah. So what's your... Hmm, Last message to the audience. Famous last words. Famous um, last words, yeah. <laughs> we'll go into the history. I really, I really would make a plea for, please don't consider storytelling in virtual reality and for virtual reality as the icing of a cupcake. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's, it's so much more, it's the cupcake itself. And... Um, You, you did, you technologists, developers, you did a gorgeous job and uh, I really love everything I see. But 
now is the time to involve storytellers. And if you want to create content, please get help, get um, professional, get a professional crew, go to storytellers, go to filmmakers, go to psychologists, create a multidisciplinary team mm -hmm. and take it serious. Uh, we need, we really need content that is valuable and sustainable to make this happen, to make virtual reality happen. Don't get confused. If you're also ill, also get a professional and go to a psychologist. But we just now meant that we want to create content because it sounded a little bit like get help, get a psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 we didn't manage. Making okay. 360 movies or storytelling in VR is not for crazy people. Yeah, just be well, careful, be careful, get help. <laughs> you have to have a professional next to you when you experience those experiences, <laughs> guided experiences. <No. laughs> Guided concentration, yes. that's the word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, really awesome. I'm, I'm really glad that there are people like you who are not pushing so much the technology that I'm so much in love with, but also really focus on pushing people to be more creative, to use storytelling, to, you know, like involve people in general in the whole process of VR and are not the typical geeks because the geeks can do awesome stuff for sure, yeah. but without content, without life in those experiences, they are half empty. They don't feel complete yet because a good experience doesn't require the best headset ever, but the best headset ever won't make a bad experience good, right? And once a content creator understands what a technology is able to deliver, he can make a transforming process and translate it into his skills. And once he has created something and shares his ideas with a technology developer, it might happen that this developer says, well, that's a great idea. We push it more in this direction. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a win-win situation. And this is our claim at the Bavarian Film Center for our training formats is technology marries content. Mm -hmm. Nice. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for being here. It was a very interesting episode. Thank yeah. you for your time. And um, Sure. Thank you for your time. And our dear listeners, subscribe on RSS, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on SoundCloud. Give us your love and your feedback through emails. Rate us on iTunes. Rate us and, you know, subscribe to our Twitter, Facebook, please, whatever, you know, just or share it actually with your friends if you like the episode. That's the best you can do. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye bye.